Green symbolizes a healthy lifestyle. Yellow is cheerfulness, the color of intellect. Blue can mean calm in the West, but friendship in the East. White is innocence, sometimes sterility. A white flag is recognized internationally as a sign of surrender. A black car will heat up faster in the sun. Those aren't just common meanings of color pulled from the internet. Those are section headings from my 2006 short story, The World's Most Famous Colorist, which won a Gather Award and was published on Amazon when they first launched Amazon Shorts before anyone could self-publish anything. The World's Most Famous Colorist is the story of a young gay Israeli who comes to New York to build a career and find a relationship. The character who I made up, named Avi, studies design and becomes a well-known colorist, someone who actually chooses colors for a living. His mother visits from Israel when ironically, or paradoxically, Avi is asked to speak about color to a school for the blind. To be honest, it's not a very good short story, nor my best writing, but somehow it's still for sale on Amazon for 99 cents. It's kind of charming, kind of funny, kind of touching, but looking back on where I've come, just kinda. More importantly right now though, the story shows with tangible proof my long-lived love for and fascination of color. Color is a lot of things. A natural occurrence, a synthetic creation. Color is all around us, helping us make choices and certainly prompting endless judgment and favor. I love color. I need color. I have questions. Not just why is the sky blue, which we all ask at age four, but as you heard long ago in season one, episode nine, why are barns red? So where I am now is thinking about what do our color choices say about us? And while Avi was a fiction, there are real colorists, designers, tastemakers out there. Who picks the new colors? Who can interpret their meanings? Who can tell us what to choose? Who do I know that really knows color? a new way of living and I'm trying to get used to it. One park blues have an ounce of an idiot ordered a Manhattan and they call me a city, yeah. At first I hurt my feelings but it's kind of got a ring to it. When you move to the country they can tell when you're new to it. I'm looking at a place but I'm trying to keep fitting in. It takes too long to be a local so for now I'm a city, yeah. I'm Matt Zucker, and this is Cityit, learning to live and love life in the Hudson Valley. Forget Avi and my mediocre short story. I recently met a real award-winning colorist, Amy Crane. Amy is an architectural color consultant, as well as a real estate broker. And get this, she has her own podcast on color called Let's Talk Paint Color with a colleague, another color consultant, Amy Wolf. You can tune in yourself and hear Amy and Amy talk about bedroom paint colors, the 2023 paint colors of the year, or just zoom in on a topic like white paint. Amy Crane lives not far from me in the Hudson Valley. 
On this episode, Country Colors, Amy and I talk about her journey upstate, she's not a newbie, and then becoming a color consultant, and then into my thousand questions about color, especially for rural homes, historical homes, starting with why barns are red, or as you'll hear, Falloon red. And what about painting your outbuildings the same color as your house? And then she really surprised me with what color was researched to paint your front door for $6,000 more in resale value. Yep, you'll hear about that and her philosophy too, called Fit In, Stand Out. And Amy breaks news on the show for a big award she's won, and you know an awards person for her work. So tune in for our conversation in three parts. Hi, Amy. Hi, Matt. Welcome on City Ed. I'm so happy to be here. I, I have to tell you that the first time I knew about who you were was when I happened onto YouTube for something and found your music video animated <gasps> anthem. Yes. And I laughed my butt off. I couldn't believe someone had the balls, can we say it, to do yeah. that. And then that led me to your website and to the fact that you had a podcast. And I have to say, I was simultaneously aghast. And then I was kind of tickled because I think I first heard that term around 2009, and it is a serious pejorative. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, wow, how could someone do this? And then I, you know, I kind of turned it around in my head and thought, you know, you're saying it with love. Yes, that is the whole intention, but it's very polarizing. A lot of people don't like it. Indeed. But thanks for saying it with love. (laughs) You bet. So 2009, and so you, and you're familiar with the word. So w- what is your connection with the Hudson Valley? Because you, you live up here, right? I do. I live here full time. Back in around 1998, I visited some friends who started renting summer houses in Hillsdale in Columbia County. And I didn't know anything about this part of upstate New York or what we call upstate. I mean, obviously, if you're from Plattsburgh or Rochester, you right. laugh at that. You laugh at that term. Um And I came to visit them a bunch of times and I just fell in love with it. I was living in the city at the time and just the topography, you know, the open rolling hills, the farmland, the really sweet little towns. And of course, Hudson, which was different then, but on its way to becoming what it is today. So I I thought it was amazing. So around 2003, I bought a second home, a former one room schoolhouse in Taconic which I renovated, not with my own two hands, and uh, built a garden because at the time I was a TV commercial producer in the city, freelance. And like so many people in that field, I was looking for my exit strategy. I think when I- Yeah, I'm I'm ex-advertising. Exactly. When I was 38, I started thinking, how am I going to get out of this? Because you start thinking like, oh, when I'm 55, will I want to get up at two in the morning for a sunrise shot? No. So I started taking classes at the New York Botanical Garden in the Bronx while I was producing, and it became too much. I mean, five years went by. I had been through half the class. I said, you know, I'm going to garden for myself, but that's not going to be my next thing. So um, I bought this second home. I renovated it. I built a garden. And uh, then when the recession hit right before it in 2008, I sold it, and I immediately was sad. So by by 2011, I had moved up here full time. I rented out my co-op in the city, lived in various rentals and bought my present house in 2017. So I've been here full time for 11 years. I can't believe it. I am not a newbie. 
you are not. You're you're professional. I am. How has it changed from your perspective? More like on the same trajectory I saw it was on when I first came up here. You know, Hudson was continuing to, I guess, gentrify is the is the best word. The the interior design stores, the designers had come up here in the '80s, supposedly. You know, left their expensive real estate in Soho and opened up interior design shops in Hudson, but there weren't as many people here. You know, this is years before you started reading that Hudson was the Williamsburg of of upstate New York. So, yeah, I kind of think it's on the same trajectory. I mean, there are more New Yorkers here, and there are. Oh, probably shouldn't get into politics, but there are more Democrats here. So, and so that's caused more tension here. So unfortunately, at least around here, there's a little bit of a, an us against them thing, which is, which is really sad. And I hate any divisiveness. So. Oh, do you, do you feel that the us versus them? You do? I do. I do feel that. I mean, mostly I feel it when politics come into a conversation or, um, there's a lot of like Facebook pages about Hudson. And if anyone, you know, posts an apartment for rent or something like that, you get into this massive conversation about who can afford that. Only people from the city can afford that. And it gets pretty divisive. But, you know, be friendly, be open, learn to live with people who are different than you. And I, I think you can get by anywhere, you know, and I've had to learn. I was afraid actually with the two of us talking that we might hear a little bang, bang out there because hunting season started this weekend. So, you know, you learn about that stuff. You didn't know about when you lived in Chelsea, right? Oh, hunting season is like the craziest thing. I put on my orange, I put orange on my dog and it's, it's both a thrill and a fear. Sure. That's perfect. I agree. I agree with you. Um, I had a, uh, I was seeing someone for many years up here who was local and he was a hunter. So, you know, I had to get used to that guns in the house, rifles in the house. And the first, the weekend that hunting opened up, he would have a bunch of his manly friends come and hunt on his 80 acres with him. And I would make this big hunting evening dinner, you know, like six guys around the table and me, and I'd just make this fabulous meal. They would be exhausted out in the cold weather all day. So I I kind of, you know, without embracing hunting, I embraced their tradition of the opening of hunting season. So it's the kind of thing you learn when you come from a very different place and no one has guns. Next time you do that, invite me to dinner. I I don't want to go hunting, but I want to come for the conversation. So just a reminder that you too probably need insurance and you should call my buddy Scott Hasty, who helped me with the trees and insurance and the great Q&A on the blog about insurance for Cityets. Scott and his office at Parties Agency in Kingston offers home, auto, and commercial insurance. And Parties is a part of World Insurance Associates. Maybe you should get an insurance checkup and start the new year off protected and smart. Just give Scott a call or email. Details on cityat.com and in the show notes. Tell him Cityat sent you. So you went from producer into gardening. But you're on the show today to talk about as an expert in color. So how did you find color? Or is that a straight line from gardening? Not exactly. I was on a shoot in Montclair or Maplewood, New Jersey years ago, where we would shoot all the time because of the beautiful housing stock, as you would know. And we were shooting this just 
beautiful home and we were breaking for lunch. So we had catering in the backyard and we invited the homeowners to eat with us. And I remarked to one of the homeowners that her house was beautiful, the decor, the paint colors, her garden, everything was gorgeous. And she turned to me and said, you know, there's a local woman. I don't know her. She's a color consultant. I drive around and I see her sign up in front of houses. You might really like that. You should look into that. And I thought, all I did was compliment you. But like a light bulb, you know, went off. I had been helping friends and family choose paint colors for years. You know, oh. I had a, a little bit of a background in art. And, you know, I always loved it. I loved color. And certainly color was associated with a part of my love for gardening. So I went home and I researched where I wanted to study, which I did with the International Association of Color Consultants and Designers in San Diego, and did a bunch of modules, got my education, built a website in 2012 and hung my shingle the beginning of 2013. So it actually came from my TV commercial producing, funnily enough. Yeah. And here I am doing it. Well, I'm excited to talk to a color expert and and you also kind of are recently are and everybody knows I'm an awards person. You're an award winner. I am. I thank you, Matt. I just found out, I was just notified that I have won the Rural Intelligence Reader's Choice for Best Interior Design Company in our region. And I'm I'm thrilled. I love Rural Intelligence. I've been reading it. Great publication. Absolutely. And you know, they like they were around, then they changed, then they closed down, then they opened up with different people. And now they're part of the chronogram group, right? right? Chronogram media. Yeah. So I mean, it's such a great resource for what's going on here. And it covers this little region I'm in where Columbia County hits Northwest Connecticut and the Berkshires. So yeah, yeah. me too. We have the same the same region. So we are rural intelligencers. Absolutely. (laughs) You're in Dutchess County, aren't you? I am. I am. Yeah. So we'll see what that leads to. I mean, you know, I published a few articles in Fine Home Building Magazine and um, purely editorial and thought I would just get this rush of people who wanted me to pick colors for their home. And I think I probably got two calls from it. So who knows what will happen, but it's an honor and I'm thrilled. Well, you might get a lot of calls after this episode because I have a lot of burning questions about country colors that no one seemed to be able to answer for me. I'm happy to try. Let's go. All right. So the first one, and I've tried to cover this before, as people will know, in an episode at the very, very beginning when City had started, was about the color red. And really, it's all about why are barns red? They seem to all be red, but I don't really get a good answer about why. I think there isn't a definitive answer to it, but there's a few different histories about it. So here's the first one. There was and is a copper mine in Sweden that started in the Middle Ages and was a source of wealth in Sweden since then. And some of the byproducts of copper are a bunch of different minerals, including iron ochre, as well as zinc and a whole bunch of other minerals. So this was a byproduct of the mining. So it was discovered like a whole bunch of centuries ago that if you mixed a bunch of these minerals with linseed oil and coated a building in it, it would be a great protection for the raw wood. So that area in 
Sweden is called Falun and it's called Falun Red. And if you take a red cottages and houses, because it's not just barns there in Sweden, you'll see it's actually a brighter red. It's along the lines of our barn red, but it's a little bit brighter. And in the 16th century, the Swedish king decided to get some of that stuff and paint the roof of his palace. And since that point, it filtered down through different social strata and through the society over the ages, over the centuries. So it went to, you know, priests and wealthy merchants and noblemen. And in that time, the nobility started painting their buildings red because it was sort of emulated brick which was not in Sweden, but considered something wealthy people would have. And as time went on, it made its way all the way down to the common man, at which point Scandinavian immigrants came to this country, settled mostly in the Great Plains in the Midwest, mm -hmm. and painted their barns red, which doesn't really explain why we're seeing it in the Northeast. I think that's about farmers also realizing that iron oxide, which is a component of rust, could be mixed with a few other minerals, with linseed oil again, because of course, this is back before any kind of synthetic paint, and they could paint a barn and protect the wood, protect it from rot and weather a bit. And also because red is a darker color, it absorbs heat. So it helped a little bit with the warmth of the animals that were kept in the barn. The protective and absorption thing makes sense because I've really learned that everything on a farm has a reason. So mm. it's going to have some rationale like you just described. Yeah, so there you go. And, and you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, certainly American icon now. So I think folks, whether you were always a farmer or new to farming or just happened to have a barn on your property and you're a city, I mean, everyone kind of gravitates towards that beautiful barn red. So, um, you know, why not continue it, even though we have modern paints now, which coat and protect build, uh, buildings better than that. It's become a tradition and it's a lovely one. Yeah. And it leads me to my second question, which is other buildings on a farm. The outbuildings, of which I have a few, are sometimes not the same color as the main house and sometimes they are. So I didn't know if there's any logic to what color certain buildings should be beyond the barn. I don't think there's a right or wrong here, okay? I mean, uniformity is uncontroversial right. and, and so cohesive. So without putting too much thought into it, work into it, and stressing over do these colors go together, it's a very easy route to go. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. On the other hand, a variety in exterior colors creates a much more complex complex and a more interesting look. So it's really whatever direction you want to go. I mean, certainly one of the first things you learn when you learn about color not the interior design part of it, because that wasn't even my training, but actually functional color and how color helps us live and the effect of color on the built world and how humans live is that there are purposes for 
applying color to spaces, wayfinding, signaling function, and obviously decoration. You know, that's an obvious one. So again, you know, when you have a complex of a lot of different buildings on one property, you could change the color to signify the function. You know, my house is white with its white picket fence. That's my idea of the iconic country house, but so is the red barn. I would not do a lot of different colors. Personally, I would keep it no matter how many buildings you had, I would keep it to two, but it's really a matter of taste and function. What about the doors? Like people do some interesting things with the front doors in the country that I didn't notice in like suburbia where I grew up. Front door color serves a bunch of functions. The first is wayfinding. You're basically telling people, this is how you get in. The second is it's sort of the welcome wagon. It's it's mm. what you're you know you see the you see the whole house in front of you, but you really are concentrating on getting in and what's happening at that front door. But the third is something that's happening more and more now. And I agree with you. I grew up in suburbia and I didn't see it either. People are using it as an expression, and uh, you know it's very expensive to paint a house. You want it to last at least ten years. And so it's really not a great idea to do something garish or really Mm -hmm. bright on the house, not just for resale value and not just not to piss off your neighbors, just your own love of your home. You're just not going to put a bright color on your house. You shouldn't. But people are putting really bright, interesting cornucopia of colors on a front door just as an expression of who they are. So, you know, you'll see everything, purple, pink, red, black. I'm also a realtor and Zillow says a few years ago, they did a study of colors of houses and rooms and uh, what kind of return you'll get. You know, would you get more or less for your house if your house was that color? Believe it or not, the color front door that garnered people six grand more. This is unbelievable. I don't know if you'll guess it. Any idea? Elizabeth Arden Red. It's black. Black. A black door gets more. Yeah. Well, black is very trendy. I mean, we started seeing very charming houses painted black. So Brian and I, we painted all our buildings black, except the garage is like a gray with a black. And we it's kind of a stain. It's very mm-hmm. handsome. It really lets the green pop. So I don't know if black has become a very um, trendy color or it's around to stay. Well, it's certainly a trendy color. I wrote a blog post back in 2014 when I started my blog, I think. And one of the earliest ones was about how I was starting to see black. So that's, you know, eight years ago. So that oh, was so we just... were late. We weren't so early. If you did it, when did you do it? We painted everything black in 2018. I think you were right in the middle of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I think when people first saw it, they thought it was kind of ghoulish. I don't think it got a really great response, but like all trends, it went from the trendiest people. This trend went from the trendiest more towards like all the rest of us, the masses, the common man. So it's become really popular. I personally like it on many different styles of houses, but not all of them. You shouldn't just be slapping that black around. You really have to think about what kind of architecture you have. It, it is very popular all over the country where there is a real winter, a cold winter, because dark colors fade faster. You'll have to repaint faster. And dark colors, as we talked about the red barn, absorb heat more. So your, heat, your cooling bills in the summer will be higher. 
So that's, <laughs> that's something to think about when you choose sort of any dark color. And it's part of the black sort of started the trend. Uh, and the past few years, what's been trending for house color exteriors, certainly in our area, is dark colors. So black, dark gray, dark greens, dark brown, and navy, really big. But, you know, I had a client who had a Victorian in Tivoli and wanted a black house. We actually went with an almost black house, just off black. And her neighbor, so upset because on a Victorian, it kind of connotes a little bit of the haunted house thing. Mm. And so the neighbor, who was an older woman, she thought it was terrible. So, you know, whatever you paint your house, you have to think about if you care what your neighbors think. And, and what they think and resale value and all of that stuff and how often you want to paint all of that sort of factor into that decision about what color to paint. But I think black's gorgeous. Is there a way you want people to approach choosing a color for their exterior or their interior? Is there kind of a, a sequence of questions one might ask, like matching art, the architecture or the space around it? How do you get to a choice? I have a pretty in-depth questionnaire that I send my clients, and there's a bunch of things to take into consideration. The first thing I say is I, I, that I have this theory for exteriors called fit in, stand out. So within the context of your neighborhood, your style of house, your geographical region, you want to, to a good degree, fit in. On the other hand, you want someone to walk down your street to your house and say, wow, that's gorgeous. You want it to stand out in its beauty. So I start by asking people on a continuum of one to seven, don't pick one, don't pick seven. Where do you want to fit? And most people say to me four or five. So they're kind of in the middle, but once in a while people say, yeah, I love my house. It's gorgeous. I want it's it a to good exercise. Yeah. 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 So we start with what do you like? And then we talk about the type of architecture you have, because there are color palettes that are synonymous with certain styles of house. It doesn't mean you have to do it, but it's nice to know what it is and then make that decision whether you want to bucket or go with it. So federal houses and craftsman houses and colonial houses and mid-century mod houses, there are color schemes that go hand in hand with these colors. So I discuss with them, do you want to do what's typical for your style house or does that not matter to you at all? And people range there, which is great. You know, it is an expression of who you are. And so color is so important, certainly to an interior. I ask people, what kind of light does that room get? You know, what direction does the light come in? What time of day do you use it? How do you want to feel in it? What's the furniture that's in it? Because mm. the color actually is reflected light, literally. No light, no color. So as, as you know, as the light changes during the day, the color temperature of the light changes, right. you know, deep, deep, deep orange at the end of the day, that kind of thing. And it will change the appearance of your walls. The light's really interesting because Brian and I were very, very deliberate, as I'm sure most listeners would assume, about our color palette when we first moved into the house and painted it. And we were so like even shades different and our house is so dark. We didn't notice until after we painted it, that some of the colors really blended and we really didn't need to be such fusses because we went so, you know, we, they're nice colors, but you could barely tell the difference between two of them because the house is so dark. 
Interesting. Well, yeah, I mean, that makes just such a huge difference. I mean, Northern light is, is steady and cool. Southern light is all day long and, and yellow. Oh. Uh, morning light is a different color temperature than evening. And another thing, I don't know if you ever noticed this, Matt, but when you go to buy bulbs, it will say on the box, the color temperature of the light. So yes. you should you should keep an eye out for that. I mean, the old incandescent bulbs we all used were sort of a an orangey yellow. And that kind of means home to us, I think. I think that's a very cozy color. Mm. But you can you can buy everything from 2700 Kelvin, which is very warm, all the way up to 6000 Kelvin, which is called daylight and is a very blue, cold institutional light. So on one hand, we're talking about artificial light, like your bulbs. And on the other hand, the natural light coming in through your windows, it all really affects your colors. Have you found many towns up here that have regulations about things like color? Or is, is it really a, a whatever you want? So there's there are organizations called HOAs, which regulate the exterior appearance of colors. That's usually more of a development when one developer buys a whole bunch of land and then starts parceling it off and either building or selling it to people to build. And there'll be rules. The HOA will have rules and you'll have to stick to them. But besides that, I would say... Some towns have historic districts mm. who will regulate what you can and can't do. But I mean, I think Hudson has an historic district and there's a bright orange building there and someone just painted black and white stripes on a building. So I don't think too much regulation is going on there. So no, besides an HOA and a historic uh, organization, I think people can generally do what they want to do. Mm. City is supported by Sunflower Market. With stores in Woodstock and Rhinebeck, Sunflower Market brings our communities whole health products we can feel good about, serving to the people we love. Sunflower works with local farmers and businesses to provide a large selection of clean and sustainably sourced food, high quality organic produce, and all natural products, so we always know where our food comes from. Brian and I pop in for groceries all the time, and especially when we're having people over. Sunflower Market. Long live local. Thanks, Sunflower. Are there any common mistakes that a city it might make or we should know about? The biggest mistake, and it's really not relegated just to city, it's, it's really anyone, um, is that many people, no matter what their style of house is, has have had to replace windows or before the, they bought their house, the windows were replaced. And unfortunately, those windows are often white vinyl. Oh. So now part of the modern farmhouse trend, which has been going on for years now, but you know, white board and batten outside, exterior and black windows, actual black windows, right? So certainly the white vinyl doesn't fit into that vernacular at all, but they're lesser expensive windows and a lot of houses have them, even on a historic colonial, I've seen it. And many people like to have white trim on their house. So my word of caution for using white, whether it's just for trim or for your whole house, is that don't go towards that bright screaming white. So if you have that super bright white vinyl window, don't try and match it with an equally 
bright, stark white because it's too much out in the ambient light. There's so much light outside that it makes it too bright and it makes it just kind of strident and not attractive. So whether you're dealing with vinyl white windows or just want to have a white house or white on your house, tone the white down. No white paint is 100% white, by the way. The whites come from certain color families. So even though it looks like white, it's actually been the addition, you know, it started with a green, let's say, and just added so much white that it's a slightly green white and there are slightly gray whites and yellow whites and da, 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 all of that. So the hue family is there. It's kind of hiding, but it's there. So pick a white that is noticeably, we would say, knocked down, knock it down from a really bright white. You don't have to do it. Just pick one that is that kind of white because out in the sunlight, it will look white. There's a house that I pass all the time. It's really beautiful from the 1800s. And I learned recently it was owned by a Pulitzer winner for a drama. It's probably a second home and it's a gorgeous house and it's white with a red door. I would drive past it all the time over one particular summer a few years ago. And first it was cream, then it was screaming white, and then it was a really creamy white. It's actually too creamy for my taste, but that's about taste, right? So, I mean, I think that this person, you know, kept trying and it's hard. White is really hard. I do an episode on white in our podcast, by the way. Oh, yeah. 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 Because picking white is, is, is hard. There are so many of them and it's, you have to learn to see the differences and know what you're looking for that application of white. What about colors on the inside of historical houses or Brian and I have a really old, you know, farmhouse, which is not historical at all, just really, really, really old and small rooms and stuff. So do you have any advice for us? How old's your house? 1847. Fabulous. That's great. You have to decide your vibe and what your intention is. So you can go the old house route. If your house, for instance, has wide beautiful decorative trim. Historically, it was very popular to um, make the trim either a different color or a darker color than the wall. So the walls might've been like a very natural kind of putty, putty off-white kind of color. And you might've had more of a taupey, tanny, darker version of that, or even a different color than that. But what's been very trendy for quite a number of years is to kind of create a juxtaposition. So have the architecture be really old, but have this modern interpretation of that old place by having an all white space and bringing color in through your textiles, your rugs, your art, that kind of thing. That is a juxtaposition and it creates sort of a level of tension but not bad tension, good tension. I like spaces that mix genres of furnishing. Like you know, I wouldn't want a house to be all mission furniture or all antiques. You know, I want to see that modern sofa next to that really old rug and, you know, really mix it up. Eclectic is my bag. And so I like everything kind of eclectic. Are there any um, colors that are like no-goes? Like don't do this in a bathroom because people are peeing or don't do this in a kitchen or a dining room because people are eating. Sure. Don't be too bright. 
that's the biggest thing. A color which looks beautiful on Instagram or a magazine is not the same of having it scaled up to surrounding you by four walls. Oh, So it could look great on there, but it's not going to necessarily great here. So I, I keep people from, and by bright, I mean, saturated color, right? So you can go from the most pure saturated version of a color and then knock it down with white you get all the way down to go through the pastels down to white, or you can knock it down with gray until you get into the muted version of those colors. And oh, I see. Are... So it's not always the color. Sometimes it's just the intensity of the color. Exactly. The it's the nature of the color, not the color itself. They say warm colors like orange, red, yellow versions of those are good to, they, it is said, you know, color psychology, whatever. It spurs the appetite. So it's good for dining rooms and bedrooms. Most people get a really serene vibe from blues, greens, and blue greens. Um, cool colors, even lavenders, right? So to put cooler colors to help you with sleeping in bedrooms. So there are color associations with certain colors, which um, they are generalizations, but they come out of studies, actual real studies. So color psychology is a, a real thing, even though it's kind of a soft science. I would never say there's this one color, don't put it in that room. I mean, so much is about you, your personal taste, your history, what you associate with certain colors and what feels good for you. And what about if you know you're it's like selling your house? We are not. But if a resale value, is there a rule of thumb that like repaint everything white or don't do anything weird? Or what do you recommend to people when they're selling their house? Well, coming to you both as an architectural color consultant and a realtor, while I reject certain notions like paint it all gray, make it all no neutral, I do agree that if you have deep, dark colors that you think are moody and gorgeous, there'll be a big part of the population who won't think that's great. I mean, most human beings respond strongly to light. You know, we like to have light places. So I would get rid of really dark paint colors and really idiosyncratic kind of things like, you know, you let your daughter paint her room bubblegum pink. Well, that's great for her, but don't have it when you go to sell. So I would say keep it soft. It doesn't have to be neutral. I mean, you have light blues and tans and light greens and all. I think as long as the colors are soft and they don't clash with each other, it's a cohesive palette. I think you're fine. Yeah. And you Great. probably don't have any bubblegum pink rooms, do you? Not yet, but there's always a chance we'll go <laughs> bubblegum. So, you know, I love the Hudson Valley. I love even this time of year. I love the light. I imagine you can go to town on the colors that we see at sunset over the Catskills. Where are your favorite places to go in the Hudson Valley? What are your inspirational places? It's so hard to pick one, Matt. Two places stand out in my mind. I am a really big gardener. I don't know if you know who Margaret Roach is. I do. Martha Stewart's gardener. There you go. I am just, a, I am an such a fan of hers and I've known about her for so long. And there's an organization called the Garden Conservancy and every yes. spring and summer, yes. people open, right? People open up their gardens and you buy a ticket and you walk around and the homeowner might be there. You ask them questions. You're walking around with people of the same 
you know, people who love plants and love gardens. And Margaret has one of the most beautiful gardens. She does. It's over in Copake Falls. That's right. Ben and I have gone. Yeah. It's just so much fun. And I, I never see it enough. I will keep going back. And Margaret's an incredible person. She has her own podcast. She writes for the New York Times now. She has a weekly column. She's an incredible gardening educator. And I had read years ago that she had over a half a million international readers of her blog slash website. I mean, she's, she's huge. She's huge. So that's one. And the other is, have you ever been to Hancock Shaker Village? No. Where's that? It's in Pittsfield, Mass. And it is a Shaker Village. I think the Shaker started back, I'm going to say early 1800s. I may be wrong. And they lived a certain lifestyle and they were excellent with their hands. And so this is a preserved Shaker Village. It's got gardens. They do events, but the buildings are their buildings and they're amazing. There's a round barn. There's the the Cooper's house and the blacksmith's house and the place, the mess hall and the dormitories where they lived and their furniture and Shaker furniture is just beautiful in its simplicity. But the exterior of the buildings are painted these incredible colors and they're accurate. They're historical. So there's some barn reds. There's some sort of slaty gray blues, I think. There's an incredible ochre gold, but my favorite, I sent you a picture of. It's a, they call it salmon, but it's really an orangey pink. I mean, I would never put it on a a client's house, but it is the most gorgeous color. And I cannot drive past that building without stopping and taking a picture always. So just the simplicity of their shapes and then these incredible colors. It's a great place to visit. They're actually doing some kind of holiday thing. So they do stuff there. I mean, they have music, they have talks, they have come see the garden. It's a working garden. They have events there and it's beautiful and a little museum. I'll put the photo up on the episode page and probably on Instagram. And then I'll also add it to my list. Great. Great, Matt, this was so much fun. Yeah, this is great. The season is ending soon for Hanukkah. I do have two gift wishes if you could spare them. One, if you're listening before December 22nd, 2022, please vote for Sidiot in the Signal Awards Listener's Choice for Best Lifestyle Podcast. I can't believe I made it to finalist among five other great shows and a few from top production studios. Links in the show notes and episode page at Sidiot.com. Second, help me finish out the season and plan next by dropping a rating and review for Sidiot. You can visit Sidiot.com and do it there in five minutes or less, or go through Apple Podcasts, or if you're listening on Spotify, you can do it there. Thanks so much. Maybe with the right encouragement, I can make your wishes come true. Yellow, after all, is for happiness, hope, and spontaneity. I'm Matt Zucker in the Hudson Valley. We're two-thirds the way through our firewood, if you can believe it, and still burning red-orange hot. Come visit. Down in the valley, moved up from the city. It's a new way of living, and I'm trying to get used to it. One park, people's have an ounce of an idiot. Ordered a Manhattan, and they call me a city, yeah. But it's got a got a ring to it. When you move to the country, they can tell when you're new.
but I'm trying to keep fitting in. It takes long to be a local, so for now I'm a city. Upstate and chill. chill, chill, chill.